Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Beach House 34 True Crime and Paranormal Podcast. This is the trial of Darley Routier. Now, if you've been following along, we have done, or I have done, many episodes prior to this. We are now on day three of the trial, and today's testimony will be of Sergeant Dean Poos. Uh, he is, uh, his testimony is actually rather short. And so shortly after he gets done, we then hear from a gentleman named Barry Dickey, who had to deal with the electronic files in regards to the 911 call that Darley had made the night of the crime. If you have been listening up to this point, um, you do know the background. I'm not going to repeat it here. Uh, a lot of this is just to save time, as I've said before. So if you are interested, I highly suggest that you visit the links. If you want to go back all the way to the beginning, visit the links within the show notes, and that will take you from the very start of this case all the way up to the jury trial, which is where we're at right now. So without hesitating any longer, I guess, let's go ahead and get started with the testimony of Sergeant Dean Poos. Sergeant Poos, as I said, his testimony is very short. He testified right after uh, Walling did. Sergeant Poos is a public information officer, a communications and record supervisor, and computer system administrator for the Rowlett Police Department. And we begin with the direct examination by Mr. Greg Davis. Sir, would you please tell the members of the jury your full name? Sergeant Dean Poos. How are you employed? I'm the communications and records supervisor, the computer system administrator, and public information officer for the Rowlett Police Department. Okay, Sergeant Poos, how long have you been a member of the Rowlett Police Department? Approximately seven years, sir. Directing your attention back to June the 6th of 1996, what were your duties at that time? As stated, I was a public information officer, communications and record supervisor, and computer system administrator. Are you familiar with an individual by the name of Janice Brooks Bloom? Yes, sir, I am. She's a communications officer that works for me. Okay, does she work as a dispatcher there? Yes, sir, we call them communication officers. All right, in your capacity over the communications division, do you have care, custody, and control of certain tapes that are made by dispatchers there? I do, sir. If you could, in general, if you could just describe for the members of the jury how the communications are recorded out there in Rowlett. Let's say if I'm a dispatcher and I need to call the fire department on an emergency, or if I need to talk with the police officers in the field, how would that be done in Rowlett? And how would you record those conversations? At that time, we had what's called a 10-channel dictaphone playback unit. It's just a big tape recorder. 
In fact, the 10 channels that were recorded were all of the 911 phones that came into the dispatch center, the business phones and the police and fire radio channels. Those tapes were active and live, if you will, 24 hours a day. So any calls coming across on any of those phone circuits or radio channels would have been recorded onto those tapes. Are you familiar with the 911 call that was received by the Rowlett Police Department from Darley Lynn Routier? Yes, sir, I am. And is it your understanding that Janice Brooks Bloom was the communications officer at that time? That's correct, sir. Was she working by herself or someone else that morning? She was the only communications officer on duty at that time. There was a jailer in the communications area that was trying to assist her as needed. Do you remember what his name was? Clint Preslicka. All right. Was a recording made of that 911 call, sir? It was, sir. And was that recording preserved by the Rowlett Police Department? Yes, sir. Have you had that recording in your possession since that date? Yes, sir. I took custody of it and handled it as evidence. Sergeant Poos, I'm going to show you what has been marked as State's Exhibit 18. Ask you whether or not you recognize this to be the original recording of the 911 tape that came to Rowlett from the defendant in this case, sir. Yes, sir. It appears to be. This is on a... I take it on some sort of real-to-real basis. Is that correct? Correct, sir. At this point, uh, Mr. Greg Davis says, Your Honor, at this time, we'll offer State's Exhibit Number 18. The court then says, Any objection? Mr. Richard Mosty, one of the attorneys uh, for Darley, says, No, Your Honor. And then the court then says, State's Exhibit Number 18 is admitted. Mr. Davis, the prosecutor, then continues, Just so I'm clear, on that evening, were you on duty up there at the police station at 2.30 a.m.? No, sir. I was at home. I was called by communications officer Brooks when the situation broke, and I came in shortly thereafter. But as far as taking part in any of the recordings that are on that tape 18 on the 911, you didn't actually personally take part in any of the recordings yourself, did you? No, sir. The machine is automated. It was running. My voice may be on there as I got there shortly thereafter and began working on the telephones. So that was my involvement. All right. Mr. Greg Davis then says no further questions. The court then says anything. And so then there was the cross-examination by Mr. Richard Mosty, who again is part of Darley's defense team. Mr. Poos, you say that you have a 10-channel communications system. What does that tell me? At the time that this happened, we had a 10-channel dictaphone tape logger unit that would be, I guess, the technical term model number. That means we had 10 available channels for recording. Some of those channels were telephone lines. Some of them were 911 phone lines which are separate and distinct from the business lines in our building. And then some of them were radio channels for our police and fire units. 
Okay, so for instance, if you had two or three 911 calls come in at once, you had the capacity to take all of them. Yes, sir. Okay, and it sounds like a fairly sophisticated system. No, sir. As a matter of fact, that particular unit was over 10 years old and we had problems with it at some point and it's been replaced. But it is able to pick up the communications from the other end, from the caller? Yes, sir. And as a matter of fact, it was sensitive enough to pick up communications of a person other than the person on the phone. If there are other people in the background, it picks up those as well, doesn't it? You can telephone off hook, whatever the microphone there would pick up could get to the tape if it was loud enough. Okay, so anybody who's standing around talking while the person is on the phone could also be picked up. Correct, sir. And in fact, in this case, they were, weren't they? Yes, sir. So all the communications of the person that's actually on the phone are on the tape, correct? Yes, sir. Whatever would get to the microphone that was sensitive enough or strong enough to get on the tape would have made it across the open line. In fact, this tape, you have had it enhanced, haven't you? I haven't done anything to it, sir. I don't know. You don't know what happened to it? I've had, it's been turned into evidence how it was processed prior to this trial, I'm not really aware of. Well, have you reviewed the transcript of it? I made a transcript myself of it, sir. Okay. Have you reviewed the latest enhanced transcript of it? I have seen it, the transcript. Then you know that there are other people on that tape, don't you? Yes, sir. And you know, for instance, the officers are on the tape. Yes, sir. And the instructions that they're given to giving to Darley Routier are on that tape. Yes, sir. And as a matter of fact, the tape has Darley Routier having conversations with her husband and having conversations with the officer, talking to her children and talking to the communications officer. She's talking to all four of those people at the same time, isn't she? I don't recall her talking to the children. Again, I don't recall is my statement to that, but that may be correct. She's talking to several people at the same time. Yes, sir. Well, for instance, did she say, Devin, no, oh my God. Do you remember her saying things like that? There was a whole lot of that going on, sir. I can't remember that specific comment. She was talking about, hold on, baby, baby, hold on. Yes, sir. Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecutor then says, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to object to that being read. It's not in evidence. The court then says sustained. Mr. Richard Mosty then says, well, I'm asking him if he remembers that on the tape. Mr. Mosty then continues, you remember that on the tape, don't you? I remember comments to that effect. Yes, sir. Her saying, oh my God, my children are dying. Correct. Hang on, baby. Yes, sir. Okay. Hold on, baby. Mr. Greg Davis then says, I'm sorry, I've got to object again. He's clearly reading the document. The court then says sustained. Let's 
Mr. Mosty then goes on, well, I'm asking, do you remember that? Do you remember, quote, hold on, baby? Her saying, hold on, baby. Well, there was a lot of stuff on that tape, sir, as you're well aware. And without the transcript in front of me that I made, there were comments similar to that made, sir, yes. And do you remember comments like, my God, when's the ambulance going to get here? Again, specifically, I'm not going to be able to answer that. Comments similar to that were made. Yes, sir. Okay, I'm just asking you similar. There's questions of talking about my baby, and there's screaming, and there's when is the ambulance going to get here? All of those things are on the tape that Miss Routier is doing, isn't it? Yes, sir. So it's fair to say that she was talking to her children wasn't she? I don't know who she's talking to, sir, but there was a lot of conversation going on. And matter of fact, the dispatch officer during this same time, she's having several conversations with not only Mrs. Routier, but various either paramedics or police officers who are en route to the scene. Yes, sir. Okay. Mr. Richard Mosty then says, that's all. Mr. Greg Davis says, no further questions, Your Honor. And at this point, the court says, all right, you may step down your next witness. And I'm going to insert something here. This, again, was Sergeant Dean Poo's, again, a very short testimony. The next witness is Barry Dickey, who specializes in the production, engineering, and composition of music and audio recordings. And his testimony is actually quite long. So let's start with his testimony. And again, we start with the direct examination by the prosecutor, Mr. Greg Davis. State your name. My name is Barry Jean Dickey, D-I-C-K-E-Y. Okay, sir, how old a man are you? 32 years old. Married? Yes, I am. Children? Yes, I have. How many children? One. Okay, what's the child's age? Five years old. Boy or girl? Boy. All right, let me ask you, how are you employed at this time? I'm president of Graffiti Productions Incorporated. All right, can you tell us what does Graffiti Productions do? Well, we specialize in the production, engineering, composition of music, of audio recordings. Okay, if I'm a musical artist, then I come into your studio and you do the recording for me. Yes, sir. All right. Are there other things that you do besides just record music? Yes, we produce jingles for music, like you would see Burger King's jingles, industrial spots, short film clips, like you would see that on the Discovery Channel and so forth like that. Can you tell us a little bit about your educational and your professional background before you started up Graffiti Productions? Yes, basically graduated from high school, received the physics award, attended University of Texas at Arlington for two years under electrical engineering degree, and basically after that worked under a company called Sound Concepts in which I produced, arranged, composed, processed, and I think at that time I was responsible for some business activities. 
After that, I was with True Colors Recording Studios. This was from, I was with Sound Concepts from 84 until 86. From the years of 86 until 89, I was with True Colors Recording Studios, basically doing the same thing. Okay, then have you been in the recording business then around 12 years? Yes, I have. Now at Graffiti Productions, would it be fair to say that you have you have a lot of equipment out there, I take it? Yes, sir. Okay. Do you have a soundboard where you control the sound for the recordings? Yes, we have a variety of gear for not only processing, but for maintaining a clear and consistent signal that doesn't degrade any of the original recordings in any way. Do you have a computer system out there also? Yes, we have several different digital audio workstations. These are used for a variety of purposes, but basically what it is, they maintain audio in its purest form so that there's no degradation. No matter how many times you listen to something, it does not wear down. Whereas with analog tape, anytime that you listen to it, as the heads contact the tape, they wear off part of the surface of the tape and it will degrade the recording after listening to it for a certain amount of time. Whereas with the digital workstations, there's none of this. Mr. Greg Davison says, let me approach if I may, your honor, and the court says you may. Mr. Dickey, let me show you what has been admitted into evidence as state's exhibit number 18. Do you recognize this, sir? Yes, I do. Okay, did I ask you to make a copy of State's Exhibit 18 at some point? Yes, you did. Now, State's Exhibit 18, does that use certain equipment that's produced by Dictaphone? Yes, it is. All right, when you made your copy, did you use Dictaphone equipment or did you make a copy that could be listened to or analyzed on different equipment? I used Dictaphone's equipment to actually play back the tape and it was actually transferred to a DAT tape, which is a digital audio tape. It's a newer technology. Okay, so I mean, I take it there's kinds of two worlds. You've got this analog world, right? Yes, sir. Which is kind of the old world? Yes. But States Exhibit 18, is that analog? Yes, it is. All right. And then you've got this newer world, which is digital, correct? Yes, sir. And digital, you can play it a million times. And the millionth time, it sounds just as good as the first time, right? Yes, sir. Analog, if you play it over and over, I guess it deteriorates with use, right? Yes. Each time that you run the tape past the head, you have some degradation of the tape. Okay. Now, at the time that I first contacted you in this case, had you and I ever spoken with each other before? No, we hadn't. Had you ever done any work for the Dallas County District Attorney's Office before? No, I have not. All right. Do you have experience in making DAT copies of audio tapes? Yes, we have used, we have transferred and saved libraries digital libraries that we have made for other companies. Since the year 19, 
I guess, 89 to 90. We have preferred this format. Mr. Greg Davis then says, may I approach again, Your Honor? And the court says, you may. Mr. Dickey, let me show you what has been marked as State's Exhibit 18-B. If you would, take a look at that and tell us whether or not you recognize that, sir. Yes, that is the tape that I made from the Rowlett Police Department, which I transferred it from the analog deck into a Sony deck that we use. And it has my handwriting signifying that it is the 911 call from the Rowlett Police Department. Let me just ask you, concerning State's Exhibit 18-B, sir, did you, when you took State's Exhibit 18 and you made the copy of 18-B, did you alter the contents of this tape 18 in any fashion while making State's Exhibit 18-B? No, I did not in any fashion whatsoever. Okay, is State's Exhibit 18-B a true and exact copy, digital copy of State's Exhibit 18? Yes, it is. All right. The only difference being this is in digital form, State's Exhibit 18-B, and 18 is in the analog form. Is that right? Yes, but there is no difference in the information contained in each of the recordings. It's strictly just on a different format. Okay. Your Honor, at this time, will offer into evidence State's Exhibit 18-B. And Mr. Mosty says no objection. The court then says State's Exhibit 18-B is admitted. Now, Mr. Dickey, in order to play State's Exhibit 18-B, would you have to have what you call a DAT player? Yes, you would. So this isn't something we just put into a cassette player like we might have you have to have a special machine for that, right? Yes, sir. All right. Now, did I ask you after you had made your DAT copy, States Exhibit 18-B, did I ask you to analyze the content of the conversation of the 911 call that is contained on States Exhibit 18-B? Yes, you did. All right. And did I ask you to attempt to pull up any and all conversations that may be contained on 18-B? Yes, you did. And did you, in fact, do that? Yes, I did. Now, if you could, if you could briefly describe for the members of the jury how you went about analyzing State's Exhibit 18-B, what equipment did you use, the process, just as briefly as you can, how you went about that analysis, sir. Okay, basically there are several different software programs, software combined with hardware that conform to a variety of computers out there. Now, what we use is called the Sonic Solution System. It's a very high quality end system. It actually, let me put it this way, it measures the noise. One of the things I did was you can measure the noise. If you've ever recorded like on just a handheld recorder or something and you played it back, you're familiar with the hiss that comes off the tape. What our software does is it analyzes this hiss, this exterior noise that is just part of the recording and it will actually remove that without changing any of the material, the information that is contained on that tape. 
Therefore, lowering the noise floor makes sounds that were covered up in the noise floor all of a sudden hearable so that you can, they're audible to you. And when you play it back, you can hear things that normally you would not hear in the analog recording. Okay, so do I understand you to say basically, you're trying to eliminate the background noise to get down to the conversations. Is that right? Yes, sir. And okay. And on top of that, there are several other applications that we do. There's an application called Band Stop Filters in which we eliminate a whole spectrum of frequencies in order to isolate where the voice is focused at. In other words, most of the telephone lines focus the voice at about one kilohertz, one dash K, and that's what the phone system actually operates at as far as the human voice. That's what gets transferred the most of. So the more of that you have compared to the other frequencies, the less background noise you pick up. Okay, and let me just ask you a couple of questions here. You did, in fact, did that. And did you, after you had run this DAT tape through the computer and the software programs that you had, did you then transfer that to another medium? Yes. And did you, in fact, transfer what you had been able to filter through to a laser disc? Yes. Okay. Yes, I did. Mr. Greg Davis then says, and let me then show you the States Exhibit 18-C and ask you whether or not States Exhibit 18-C is in fact the laser disc that you produced after running that tape through your computer using your software. Yes, it is. And let me just make sure it's 18-C. Did it alter any of the contents of that DAT tape? No, it did not. There is the original recording on there, and there is also a very, very slightly processed recording. But in both cases, we checked for what would be referred to as artifacts, which artifacts are something that if we use too much processing, it might generate some audible or unheard noise that wasn't generally there and we have to reference that against the original recordings. Okay, so you didn't change the conversations. You didn't add to the conversations. Is that correct? No, not in any form or any way. Even in the processed portion, is that right? Yes, sir, that is right. Okay, so this, just to make it clear, we have a purely audio version of that 911 tape on this. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Then we have a processed audio version that also has a video transcript of that conversation. Is that also correct? Yes, you do. And they're both true and correct copies of this DAT tape. Is that also correct, sir? Yes, sir, they are. Mr. Davison says, Your Honor, at this time, we'll offer States Exhibit 18-C. Mr. Mosty says, no objection, whereas the States Exhibit 18-C is then admitted. At this point, the court then says, ladies and gentlemen, by agreement, we're going to begin by breaking about this time for lunch for reasons already explained to the jury. If you'll be back at 10 minutes after one o'clock, please. And then the court then says, all right. 
let the record reflect that these proceedings are being held outside the presence of the jury and all parties in the trial are present. Mr. Mosty, uh, again, one of Darley's defense attorneys, says the video portion says the video portion of this does not have a complete statement of everyone who's talking. For instance, it does not have the operator on it who is the communications officer who says, for instance, quote, don't touch anything. She said, quote, I touched a knife. And we don't think that's a fair portrayal when they've only taken half of the conversation or the responses that are coming from the other end without having all of the transcript. In the transcript we have, which the state provided and appears to follow this, has everything in it and not just Mrs. Routier. The court then says, all right, so you're objecting to this being shown to the jury. I'm objecting to the video transcript being shown to the jury. The state has written a transcript, which I presume that they will also offer. And we could have the jury, if the question is to make sure the jury does it, the jury can follow along with the written transcript, which has everything on it and is a complete rendition. The court then says, all right, overruled, please be seated. Mr. Mosty then says, Mr. Hagler might want to add something. And the court says, oh, by all means. And Mr. Hagler is actually another attorney for Darley. All right, judge, I have one thing to add. The transcript, which is a complete transcription of the of the tape, as opposed to the video, which takes out portions of it, which places undue emphasis on certain portions of the statements made during the tape, is misleading and potentially confusing to the jurors as the true nature of the 911 conversation. For that reason, we would ask that the testimony be limited to the transcript itself, as opposed to the confusing and unduly prejudicial video. The court then says, all right, overruled. We will show the video to the jury. Is the jury ready to come in bailiff? Bailiff then says, yes. All right, let's bring in the jury, please. Whereupon the jury was returned to the courtroom and the proceedings were resumed on record. The court then says, all right, let the record reflect that all parties in the trial are present and the jury is seated. All right, Mr. Davis, you may continue. And again, he's the prosecutor. He says, thank you. He again begins to speak with uh, Mr. Barry Dickey. Sir, again, your name is Barry Dickey, correct? Yes, sir, it is. And you were testifying before lunch, before we took the break. Is that right? Yes, I was. Mr. Dickey, let me talk to you again about the laser disc for just a moment. Some of the things we're going to see on that laser disc. Now there's a portion of that disc which contains a video transcript of the 911 call. Is that correct? That's correct. Now on that, do we identify who is speaking by certain abbreviations? Yes, there are. For instance, do we have the female caller identified as FC? Yes, it is. And do we have a male caller identified as MC? Yes, he is. Do we have a background voice identified by BV? Yes, it is. Do we have a police officer at the scene identified by PO? Yes, he is. And lastly, do we have sounds individually defined shown by the abbreviation SND? 
Yes, it is. And as we watch this videotape, these voices, and let me just ask you, are they color-coded also? Yes, they are. For instance, as the female caller is speaking, we will see her dialogue highlighted in green. Yes, it is. All right. So female caller will be green. Green. The male caller, will his dialogue be highlighted by the color orange? Yes, it is. The background voice, will that be shown as red? Yes, it is. The police officers, will that be shown in blue? Yes, it is. And finally, will the sounds individually defined be shown in the color purple? Yes, they are. Now, there are other voices that you'll hear on this video transcript in addition. Is that right? Yes, you will. Will that be the communications officer one, the communications officer two, and the police and fire radio channels? Yes. Will their dialogue actually be shown on the video transcript? No, the dialogue does not appear. All right. The dialogue that we will actually see on the screen, will that be then the sounds and the voices that are coming from 5801 Eagle Drive? Yes, they are. Although we'll still be able to hear the dispatcher, radio traffic, etc. correct? Yes, sir. Now, let me just ask you, on this LaserDisc, in order to access this information, have we prepared some barcodes like you might see at the Albertsons or HEBs? Yes, they are. Same kind of thing found on a can of tomatoes and you scan over it and it reads, right? Yes. As you scan it, it scans the beginning of each barcode section that has been marked. Okay. And we've got barcodes, do we not, for the portion of this laser that just simply has sound, correct? Yes. So that if anyone wanted to play just the portion that has the sound without the video transcript, they could just simply read off of that barcode, right? Yes, they could. Then do we not have another barcode where if somebody wanted to see the entire video transcript with the sound, they just simply read that barcode? Yes, they would. And they are marked on the barcodes. Mr. Greg Davis then says, may I approach your honor? The court then says, you may. Whereupon the following mentioned item was marked for identification only as States Exhibit 18-D. Let me show you, Mr. Dickey, States Exhibit 18-D and ask you whether or not those are, in fact, the barcodes that allow us to read the laser disc. Yes, they are. Your Honor, at this time, we'll offer States Exhibit 18-D. Mr. Mosty says no objection. The court then says States Exhibit 18-D is admitted. And again, the questioning continues. Very briefly, can you explain why we've limited the video dialogue on the screen to persons in 5801 Eagle Drive? Well, there were a couple of reasons. The times were allotted because of the fact that it's very hard to keep up with. There are certain sounds and so forth that happen within one second of each other. And so it's very confusing. The other thing is it was my charge to isolate what was coming from inside the house, not necessarily in background traffic or so forth in those manners from the fire or police radios. I merely isolated what was coming from the house 
so that the actions that took place in the House could therefore be deciphered. Mr. Mosty then says, Your Honor, prior to the state playing this, may I take the witness on voir dire? The court then says, You may indeed. So then the voir dire examination er, goes on. And I quickly want to note that a voir dire examination of a witness is different than just your typical voir dire. Usually when you hear this term, it's the process used by attorneys to select a fair and impartial jury. During voir dire, the jury panel is questioned by both parties' lawyers. The questions are intended to help the lawyers in the jury's election process. Now, when it's brought up in in this particular case, while questioning a witness, what it does is it allows attorneys to scrutinize witnesses, including expert witnesses and jurors. If a witness or juror is found to be incompetent or biased through voir dire, they can be struck from the trial by the judge. So let's go ahead and continue. And remember, this is Mr. Richard Mosty now asking questions who is on the defense team for Darley. Mr. Dickey, if I understand what you're proposing to show the jury is not a complete transcript of what happened on that tape. It is. The sound is a complete transcript of the tape. Well, the sounds, but the video, the wording, the wording that is on this screen, that would appear on the screen is not a complete transcript. That is correct. And it doesn't have the officer, for instance, talking to Darley Routier. No, it does not have the officer's written response, but you can hear the audible. Well, I understand that. But what the jury is going to be able to see does not have Darley Routier on it, does it? Does it not have the officer on it? Yes, it does contain a police officer. It has that written on the screen. It has PO, which is the abbreviation in the transcript. Okay, and what about the communications officer? Is that on there? No, CO1 or CO2 does not appear on there. But you could do that, couldn't you? You could have done that. Well, it would have been, it would have scaled past at such a rate that would have not been able to be followed. Mr. Dickey, that's not my question. You could have done it, couldn't you? You could have brought the jury a complete transcript of everything on that screen. Mr. Greg Davis then says, I'm sorry, could I ask, what's the purpose of Wardeer? This sounds like cross. What is the purpose of this Wardeer? The court then says, well, what is it? Mr. Mosty says, over the admissibility of the document. The court then says, okay, well, answer the question if you know it. The witness then says, could you repeat it, please? Mr. Greg Davis then says, excuse me, if I'm not mistaken, this exhibit was admitted into evidence prior to us going to lunch. The court says it is. Mr. Greg Davis says, okay. The court then says, I'll let you ask this one question and then let's get on with it, please. The witness then says, could you repeat it, please? Then again, Mr. Mosty repeats the question that says, You could have put every person on there on the written word, couldn't you? That was not my charge. Could you have done it? 
that was not my charge. Do you understand the, the court then says, this is more in the nature of cross-examination. Let's get on with it. You can cover that in cross. Mr. Mosty then says, well, whose suggestion was it? Whose suggestion was it that you only put Mrs. Routier and what was happening at the house? Was that your idea? The court then says, all right, thank you. Please be seated. We have gone through this. This is not voir dire. This is cross-examination. We will go on with the tape. Mr. Mosty then says, we would renew our objections that we previously made and would like to go on with voir dire to develop those objections. The court then says, thank you, overruled. Let's go ahead. Someone has got to start it. The direct examination by Greg Davis was then resumed. Mr. Dickey, and then he says, if I may approach your honor, and the court says, yes, sir. Mr. Greg Davis says, briefly, yes, sir. Mr. Dickey, did you produce a written transcript of what's contained on state's exhibit 18-C? Is that correct? Yes, I did. So if anybody wanted to read or wanted to follow along as they go along with this and actually see what is being said by CO1 or CO2 or the radio, they could do that, right? Yes, they could. As well as the exact times they happened from the beginning of the phone call. And if you would, if you'll just look at State's Exhibit 18-E, please, and tell me whether or not that is the written transcript that you yourself produced in this case. I just want to make sure all the pages are here, okay? Yes, it is incomplete. And those are, this is Christine. Those are actually two words. It doesn't say, yes, it is incomplete. It's in space complete, so... As I understand it, he means to say it is complete. Okay. But what's so funny is uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mosty then speaks up and says, I'm sorry, did you say incomplete? The witness then says, no, it is in, it is complete. Mr. Mosty says, your honor, we would like for the jury to go ahead, have that during this transcription. Mr. Greg Davis then says, well, we have one copy. I don't know how 12 people will read it. And Mr. Mosty says, I think it's Mr. Davis then says, let me just ask you, Mr. Dickey, uh, whereupon the following item was marked for identification only as States Exhibit 18-E. Mr. Greg Davis uh, then says, well, first of all, is it admitted? I'll offer it at this time as States Exhibit 18-E. Mr. Mosty says, is that the same one you've given us previously? Mr. Davis then says, yes, it has barcodes on there also so that they can play with both portions there with the video. Mr. Mosty then says, we have no objection to that, Your Honor. We would like to go ahead and make 16 copies of that so that the jury can follow along with that. And the court says, that's fine. I'll do that. All right, let's go in order. You have no objection to 18-E. Mr. Mosty says, no, Your Honor. The court then says 18-E is admitted. Mr. Davis then says, Mr. Dickey, again, if the jury wants to look at this in the jury room, for instance, the court then says, well, we can break. How long will it take to get copies of this made? Do you have, why don't you have Miss Henderson come in? Mr. Mosty says, it'll just take a couple of minutes to make copies of this. 
The court then says, just a minute. I think we can have Ms. Henderson come in. Just a minute. How long would it take to get 16 copies of this made? Ms. Henderson says, about five minutes. The court says, all right. Mr. Davis says, okay. Mr. Dickey, the court says, all right. If we can, by agreement, ask some questions not germane to this. Can we go ahead with the witness? Mr. Davis says, yes, sir. What I thought I would do is I could go ahead. We could show this once and then we can show it a second time when they have the transcript. The court then asks, uh, does this meet with both sides agreement? Mr. Mosty says, why don't we just do it one time when they've got the transcripts? There's no sense in redoing it. The court then says, well, we're going to have it in five minutes. Mr. Davis will show it once now and we'll re-show it with the transcript. Thank you. Mr. Davis then says, thank you, Your Honor. The court says, all right, go ahead with it now. And when the copies get in, the jury will have them and we'll show it over again. Mr. Davis says, all right, yes, sir. Mr. Davis then again begins with the questioning. Mr. Dickey, if you don't mind, if you can step down here and just make sure that everything is running properly. At this point, the witness steps down from the witness stand and approaches the jury rail and the proceedings were resumed as follows. The court then says, all right. At this point, the tape is then played for the jury and the witness then gets back on the witness stand and the proceedings were resumed on the record. Mr. Davis again continues his questioning. Mr. Dickey, let me ask you, while we're waiting for the copies of the transcript, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Prior to the jury coming back into the courtroom this afternoon, did we witness this video transcript here in this courtroom? Yes, we did. Okay. And was the defendant present in the courtroom during the time that you showed that video transcript? Mr. Mosty says, excuse me, Your Honor, we're going to object to what was done outside the presence of the jury. That's why it was done outside the presence of the jury. The court says, overruled, go ahead. Mr. Mosty says, may we approach the bench on this, Your Honor? The court then says, you may. Whereupon a short discussion was held off the record, after which time the proceedings were resumed. Mr. Mosty then says, Your Honor, I understand our objection is sustained. The court then says, it is sustained. Mr. Davis then says, Mr. Dickey, let me ask you again before we view some individual portions of that video transcript again. Let me ask you about a couple of terms that we may be using. The first one is going to be the term ambiance or ambience. Yes. Can you just explain to us what is ambience? Well, in general terms, ambiance would be the difference between as if you were talking in, say, a living room that is carpeted, or as you walk into your bathroom and you hear multiple reflections, almost as if you're singing in what would be referred to as reverb. That would be two different examples of ambiance. Okay. When we talk about a room, let's say a family room is carpeted, is that what kind of ambiance is that kind of room going to have? What would you call that? It's going to have a more of a dampened ambiance. It will have less reflections. Noise is not going to bounce around as much. Yes, sir. What about if we take a kitchen, for instance, that's got a linoleum floor instead of carpet? 
is that going to be dampened or is that going to have more of the noise bouncing around that room? You're going to have more reflections in the harder surfaces. And as you were listening to this tape of this 911 call, is that something that you can look for or listen for on this tape? Yes, it is. We have the ability to do that. Okay. And is that something you actually did with certain portions of this tape? Yes, it is. Okay. Now, well, we hope this works, but I want to go to a portion of the video script here, Mr. Dickey, that begins at 43 seconds and 15. And as we time it, what is it? 43. And then you've got a dot 15. How do you break down time on this tape? On the transcript, it will be written. You will have the first two digits will designate minutes. The second two digits will designate seconds. And the fifth and sixth digits will be what is referred to as subframes. It is partials of a second. Okay, so the court then says, may we? I have these transcripts back now. I believe that they are going to be given to the jury. Here they are. Will you pass those out, please, Miss Biggerstaff? There should be 16. Just take one and pass it on. All right. Let the record reflect that the members of the jury now have a copy of States Exhibit 18-E, the transcript of the 911 call at 5801 Eagle Drive on June the 6th, 1996. Mr. Dickey then responds and says, as soon as it comes up to speed, you should be able to scan and it should go right back to it. Mr. Davis says, okay, again, if the jurors will now look to the portion of the transcript that begins at 43.15 with the female caller. Mr. Davis then says, would that be the first individual clip that we're looking at here? Mr. Dickey then says, is there any way I could have a copy of it? And the court says, here, I have given him the court's copy right here. And he says, at 43.15, Mr. Davis says, yes, uh, and yes, it would be. All right. Okay, again, if you would step down here one more time, and at this point, the witness comes down from the witness stand and goes up to the jury jury rail, and Mr. Greg Davis again starts his questioning. Again, okay, again, if you will look at 43.15, okay, and then the tape is then played for the jury, Mr. Davis says, okay, so as we see on the first clip, then we started with the female caller's first line at 49 seconds is, quote, who was breathing? And then there's the male caller, unintelligible. Is that right? Yes, sir. And then the female caller's next response is unintelligible. Quote, are they still laying there unintelligible? Correct? Yes, sir. All right. Now, as you looked at this sequence here, when the female caller was making this statement, quote, who was breathing, did you try to make a determination of whether that person was in a dampened room or a room that has more bounce to it? Yes, I did. And let me explain a little bit about that. Mr. Mosty then says, excuse me, your honor, I'm going to object to that. The question was, did he make a determination? The answer was yes. That's it. The court says, overruled. Go ahead. Mr. Davis says, that means you can answer. So he goes on and he says, yes. 
The explanation in addition to that would be you have to compare one ambiance to another. It wouldn't be appropriate to just take an ambiance from any situation and designate it a certain area. So you have to take certain reflective surfaces and relate them to a certain area. And then you can make a judgment from that point, okay? In other words, you have to designate what could be referred to as the dampened area before you can make a determination of a more reflective area. All right, and when it comes to this line, quote, who was breathing, what was your opinion? Was this statement being made in a dampened room or in a more reflective room? Mr. John Hagler, again, part of Darley's defense team, says, excuse me, Your Honor, we'd object to this line of testimony to this particular question. The fact that it hasn't been established that he either has the factual basis to make such an opinion or that this so-called expert opinion is based on any type of accepted scientific theory under the rule 702. The court then says, overruled, answer the question. The witness then says, yes. My determination was it was in a slightly dampened area. All right, and the type of room that would be dampened, would that be with carpeting? It would be consistent with a room of carpeting. Mr. Hagler then says, could we have a running objection to this line of testimony? The court then says, you may have a running objection. Thank you. Mr. Davis then says, okay, now this first segment then ends with the line, quote, are they still laying there? Unintelligible. And again, that's on page two at 51 seconds and 15. Is that correct? Yes, it is. All right. Now for the jury's benefit, the second series that we're going to look at will begin at the same 51.15 on page two, and it will run through one minute and two seconds and 13. So essentially, Mr. Dickey, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up from this and we're going to go right on through. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. Again, the tape is played for the jury. Mr. Davis says, okay. Now again, looking at this sequence, we actually begin with 55 seconds and six with the statement, quote, oh my God, what do we do? Is that correct? I think it actually, and then the tape is played for the jury again. He then says, the witness then says, actually it starts at 51.15 again and picks up. And Mr. Greg Davis says, the first line now shown on the screen, quote, oh my God, what do we do? Yes, sir. And that is at 55 seconds and six. That's correct. So we're talking approximately four seconds after the statement, quote, are they still laying there? That's correct. And the person talking is the female caller. Again, is that right? That is correct. The tape is then played for the jury. Mr. Davis then asks his question. Okay, so we'll pull it up here on the screen and I would like to ask you a question. Mr. Dickey, on this screen, we now see the statement, quote, oh my God, what do we do? Now, did you try to make a determination, sir, of whether this statement, quote, oh my God, what do we do? Whether that statement was made in a dampened or a more reflective room. This statement that begins, quote, are they still laying there as the progression of the conversation moves from 51 to 55? 
the female collar moves from a slightly dampened area into a more reflective, very reflective in relationship to the dampened. And Mr. John Hagler, then again, part of the defense team says, Your Honor, so we're clear on this. Again, our objection is that there is no, as far as this testimony coming in under Rule 702, we're saying again, that there's not an evidentiary basis for such an opinion. And there has been no showing on the part of the state that this type of opinion testimony is accepted and valid under Rule 702. We want the record to be clear that we have a running objection to each and every reference. The court then says, that's right, you do have a running objection. Mr. Hagler then says, thank you. Mr. Davis continues with his questioning. Can you tell the members of the jury how you determined that beginning at 51 and going to 55, that this female caller was moving from a more dampened room to a more reflective room? Did you do that just on your own or did you use equipment? What did you do to do that? Yes, it's a measurement of the equipment. It's actually the decay time that comes as the female caller stops speaking and the decay time stops. In a more dampened area, you don't have as long a reflection. It does not have as long of a trail coming off of it. And as you move into a more reflective area, of course, the trail is longer. It seems to put more depth to the words, and that is the measurement that you take. It's referred to as the decay time. Okay, how about if I'm sitting at the bottom of a well and I'm talking? Is there going to be a lot of decay in that kind of situation? Yes, there would be. All right. Now, in a more reflective room, would that be consistent with a room that has linoleum flooring as opposed to carpeting? Yes, it would be. And at the time that this statement is made, quote, oh, my God, what can we do? Was that made in a more reflective room consistent with having a linoleum floor? Yes, it would. How about the statement that follows, quote, oh my God, oh my God, are they made in a more reflective room also, or are we back to a dampened room at that point? By the second, quote, oh my God, we are back to a more of a dampened room. Okay, now if we can, if we can go forward in this tape to the third segment, which will be at 1 minute 55 seconds, and that's going to be on page 5 of the transcript. And I believe, Mr. Dickey, at that point, the first statement that we should see up on the screen on the transcript, we have the communications officer saying, quote, what is going on? Is that correct? Yes. And actually, the first statement that we will see is made by the female caller. Is that correct? Yes, it is. The tape is then played for the jury. Mr. Davis continues. Okay. Again, the first line that we see on the screen is the female caller saying, quote, somebody came in while I was sleeping. Me and my little boys were sleeping downstairs. Is that correct? Yes, it is. The next statement by the female caller is, quote, some man came in, stabbed my babies, stabbed me. I woke up, I was fighting, he ran out through the garage, threw the knife down, my babies are dying, they're dead, oh my God, is that correct? That is correct. Now, this statement 
Do you recall as you sit there now, whether you made a determination whether the female caller was in a more dampened or a more reflective room at this point? Those are both consistent with just slightly dampened. More consistent with being back in a carpeted room as opposed to a linoleum floor room? Yes. Okay. Now, the fourth clip that we're going to look at, Mr. Dickey, that will be on page seven. And that's going to begin at three minutes and 44 seconds with the communications officer's statement, quote, you don't know who did this. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And so the first line of dialogue that we'll see on the screen will be by police officer at 345, quote, look for a rag. Is that correct? Yes, it would be. Okay. Again, the tape is played for the jury. Okay. Again, the blue represents the police officer. Is that right? Yes, it would. And his first statement, quote, look for a rag. Correct? Yes, it is. The response by the female is, quote, they killed our babies, right? Yes, it is. And his next statement, as shown on the screen, is, quote, lay down, okay, just sit down, unintelligible, correct? Yes, it is. And the female caller's response that follows, quote, no, he ran out or they ran out in the garage. I was sleeping. Is that correct? Yes, it is. In that last statement, actually, is it true, Mr. Dickey, that the female caller first uses the word he and then in mid-sentence changes it to they? Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Now, the fifth clip that we will listen to will begin on page nine, and it will begin at four minutes and 26 seconds. At this point, Mr. Mosty again says, Your Honor, I'm going to object. That last one, we don't need Mr. Dickey to interpret what the transcript read. He didn't say anything about dampening, which is his alleged area of expertise, which we objected to. We object him to simply reading for the jury his interpretation of what this says. They can do that. The court then says, well, I'll let him read. I'm going to let him read. Overrule the objection. Go ahead, please listen to the question. Mr. Davis then says, all right. Add four minutes and 26 seconds, Mr. Dickey, as we pick that up. Will we begin on the screen with the female caller's comment? Is that right? Yes, you would. Mr. Mosty again says, excuse me, what page again? Mr. Davis then says, page nine at 426, the female caller. At this point, Mr. Dickey answers and says, actually, you will begin with the last part of that sentence at four minutes and 26 seconds. Mr. Davis says, right, okay. The court then says, that's 424. The witness then says, 424 is in the is the previous statements. Mr. Mosty then says, then it goes to four minutes and 31 seconds. And Mr. Mulder, again, a part of Darley's defense team, says, Judge, we'd just like to have the same one the jury has got so we can mark it accordingly. And the court then says, can we get the same copy? I thought we had. We have 16 copies to the jury. We can share. A juror then says, if you need a copy, we can look together. Mr. Mulder then says, I don't mind. Let's just make another copy. Mr. Mosty says, we don't have one that says four minutes and 26 seconds. And the court says, well, 
I would like for them to have that. The juror then says, may I offer this one here, judge? The court then says, well, okay, let Mr. Mulder have it. Mr. Davis, I guess that is another one. Mr. Mosty then says, do I have a different version? Mr. Mulder says, apparently so. Mr. Davis then says, they have two copies. The court then says, is that the original copy you just gave to the defense? Mr. Mulder says, I will go make a copy. The court then says, well, just have a seat. We'll get it made. Mr. Davis then says, if I could please present my testimony, I'd appreciate it. The court then says, you can present your testimony while you're waiting, we'll have a copy made. Mr. Mosty says, and since I don't have a copy, could I get one made? The court then says, we will get one made. All right. At this point, the tape was played for the jury. Mr. Davis then continues his questioning and says, again, as we look through the tape here, again, the blue will be the police officer. Is that right? Yes. And then the tape is played for the jury. Mr. Davis continues, okay, on the screen right now, do we see a statement made by a police officer in blue, quote, nothing's gone, Miss Routier? Yes, you do. Then the tape is played for the jury. Mr. Davis then again continues, okay. And then do we continue on here as the screen rolls with another police officer statement of, quote, unintelligible, the problem, Mrs. Routier? Yes, you do. All right. Now the sixth individual clip should be at five minutes and one second. Communication officer statement, quote, you need to let the police officers in the front door. And then the tape is played for the jury. Again, Mr. Greg Davis says, uh, or questions, the only comments we see up on the screen are made by the female caller. Is that right? That's right. And throughout here, we just have one female caller, right? Yes, that is correct. Okay, and the last individual clip, Mr. Dickey, I showed to begin on page 10 at five minutes and 18 seconds with the dispatcher saying, quote, ma'am, hang on, hang on a second. The tape is then again played for the jury and Mr. Davis asks, so on this individual clip, what we see on the screen are actually four statements by the female caller, followed by an unintelligible statement by the police officer. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And that's the last individual clip that's going to be shown on the barcode exhibit. Is that right? Yes, it is. Okay. So again, the barcode we have the sound only, we have the entire video script, and then we have the seven individual clips that we've now shown to the jury. Is that right? That's right. At this point, the uh, direct examination is finished by uh, Mr. Greg Davis and Mr. Richard Mosty, part of Darley's defense team, then begins his cross-examination. Mr. Dickey, when were you first contacted by the district attorney's office to assist? Sometime in September, I think it was. When did you complete your work? Sometime in December, I would say middle to late December. Okay. Did you participate in this trial that they had up in Dallas, up at the courtroom? No, I didn't. 
did you go up and practice with the other officers? No, I did not. Okay. When you get a job like this, do you, I guess you do a work order or something? You could call it that. All right. And I guess part of the time is you're sitting there and just listening to this stuff. That's true. Back and forth through it. Yes. And you're taking notes of what you hear or see or important things that you want to take down. Well, I don't know exactly what you're getting at. Well, what notes did you take in? You know, you sat there and described all of this stuff on this tape. And what notes did you take or what reports did you make? The conclusions that were drawn. No, no. I'm interested in what notes did you take? The notes? There are no notes. Supposed notes. Well, what do you mean, quote, supposed notes? Did you... Well, you're asking me about notes that were taken, that weren't taken. Well, that's all I was asking you. Did you take one note whatsoever to remember and document what you just testified here? All of the measurements were done on the computer. Well, where is that computer printout? There is no computer printout. It's on the computer. Well, for instance, on this part you say here, in this one part, that there, at a certain time, it's dampened. What note, how do you remember that? You didn't take any notes to tell you what part was dampened or what wasn't. That's easily detectable for me. Well, but, and you can remember that? Yes, I can. At one point in the tape, for instance, did the dog bark? Well, I would have to see the tape if you were talking about a timeline. But if you were asking me about ambiance, that's a whole another question. Okay, but you didn't take any notes to tell me what the difference in, the, in that ambiance was? The notes that were taken on the timeline, you have a copy of it. No, I'm talking about your notes. Those are my notes. Where on here does the word ambiance appear? On quote your notes. The ambiance, there is no word ambiance on there. Now, what reports did you write? I gave no report as such as far as what you're asking a written report on ambiance. And we've already, you've already told us, have you not? that this transcript, this part of this, that is Mr. It only has one side of a conversation or the house side of the conversation on it. That was done at Mr. Davis's request. The charge was given to try to isolate and focus upon the actions and sounds that were inside the residence. Mr. Dickey, my question was simple. Who made the, I'm trying to answer that? No, listen to the first part of it. The question is, who, who told you to put that on the tape? That was the consideration between myself and Mr. Davis. All right. And that was the sole charge was to identify what happened at the house. Is that right? That is correct. And as a matter of fact, it's sort of hard, is it not? to sit with the jury transcript that they've got over there, that you prepared that, right? Yes, I believe so. It's, in fact, a copy of what has been given to the court. 
And it's really a little bit hard to try to be reading on this and be reading on the screen at the same time, isn't it? Going back and forth. I would say to do both, that would be correct. It's hard. It would be a lot easier to either read the transcript by itself or read the screen by itself, wouldn't it? Yes, that would be correct. Okay. May I? No, sir. Now, as I understand it, you have gone through and picked out seven particular parts of this tape. There were seven parts of the tape that were barcoded. And by barcoded, that's what we saw on the screen. Yes. Okay. And who chose those seven parts of the tape? That was a collaboration between myself and Mr. Davis of Collected and Evidence. So you and Mr. Davis as a team are deciding what evidence you want to present to the jury. That is not correct. Well, what, was it a collaboration? Well, what, let me clarify myself. Was it a collaboration between you and Mr. Davis? The court then says, let him speak and answer the question. Answer the question. The witness then says, to clarify myself, I would say that those are the points that I felt strongest about. They are not the points that Mr. Davis told me to pick and leave others out. Okay. Did you come up, when you started your work, what were you given? What was I given? Right. I was given nothing. I was asked to make a copy of the tape. Well, were you given a copy of the tape? No, I was not given a copy. I made the copy at the Rowlett Police Department. I'm not trying to be picky with you. Did you have possession of a tape ever that you used to make a copy of it? That's correct, isn't it? That is correct. Okay. Did anybody ever give you a transcript of the 911 conversation? No. The state never gave you one of what they thought was on the 911 tape. No, they didn't. So this creation, States Exhibit 18-E, is solely yours. Yes, it is. And I take it that you never have created a complete transcript of the 911 call that shows all of the words and all of the sounds together. The most complete transcript that I completed, you have a copy of it. No, I'm talking about the laser disc that has the sounds from the laser plus the screen. Is that the most complete one you've ever done? As far as what was the transcript being transferred to laser disc? To the screen. Yes, that's correct. I don't understand laser discs. So when I talk about it, I talk about sound and screen. Okay, I would agree with that. The most complete one that has ever been done is the one the jury saw. I would agree with that. And there's never been any attempt made to do a complete one that had all of the words on the screen. Are you referring to the words that marked unintelligible? No, I said words. Well, I don't know what you're referring to. You don't? No, I don't. For instance, the communications officer, her words. It is complete on there. It is complete as I could render it. 
Mr. Dickey, maybe you and I are having trouble communicating. I am talking about what appeared on this screen. Has there ever been a full transcript of the exhibit that has appeared on this screen or any other screen that you have prepared? Not in the fashion as you have it on paper. All right. Why? I guess that's because you and Mr. Davis collaborated on what would be put on the screen. No, that would not be true. That would probably be more to my discretion that I felt that was a better portrayal of the sounds and the actions and the words that came out on 5801 Eagle Drive. Even though you've already told us that we're trying to read this transcript and trying to follow that screen is confusing, what I told you was either or would not be, but both at the same time would probably be confusing for myself. Now, I guess that there are two times in this tape that you were able to testify about the ambiance. Is that right? I would agree with that. Okay, all right. Have you ever been out to the house? No, I have not. Has it been described to you? I did ask for general proportions of the floor plan. Well, what's the wall material, for instance? Is it rock, those interior walls? I thought the room was wood. Wood? I thought that there was at least one wall of wood. There might have been some brick, if I understood correctly. There's also carpet on the floors. It's also connected to an adjoining room. Okay, and what is between the rooms? From what I understand, a slight island bar type, I guess you would refer to it. Okay, counter maybe. Now, were you able to detect when she was standing on a carpet runner? Could I... I'll ask the questions, okay? Can you detect when someone is standing on, for instance, a carpet runner? Not for what you're, could you detect? Go ahead and finish. I would say no, not from just that amount of information and nothing to compare it to. Well, if this, if this is a depiction of the house and this family room is carpeted, you had at least one of your sessions that was consistent with this person being in a carpeted area. Yes, that's true. Okay, at least. And you had another that was consistent with a more reflective, a very reflective area. Okay, like a kitchen? Yes, more like a kitchen. Okay, so what you've got and how far apart were those in time frame? In time, I think the movement was between four to six seconds, something like that. Okay, so that would be consistent with if I were standing in a carpeted room and I walk to a sink quickly to get a towel and I were talking on the phone while I was doing that, I would move to the reflective room, for instance. It doesn't take me but a couple of seconds to walk that far, does it? Not if you walked at a brisk pace, I guess. Well, you would expect that a person that was talking, as you heard on this tape, would be walking at a brisk pace, wouldn't you? Mr. Greg Davis then says, I'm going to object to that. It calls for speculation on the part of this witness. Court says, sustained, move on. Mr. Richard Mosty then says, assume with me that someone does wa walk briskly. 
they would be consistent with the conversation going on in a period of seconds from a slightly dampened room, from a carpeted room into a more reflective room, like a kitchen. What I observed on the tape was more of a movement into the complete kitchen, not necessarily the edge of the kitchen or so forth. And I don't, what I see is a sink on the very edge of the kitchen. Am I correct? Right there? No. Well, no, that is a sink. Okay. That's the range. I'm sorry. This is the sink. It's closer. That would be my point. But this matter of a few seconds is consistent with someone walking from a dampened room into an undampened room, right? That is correct. Okay. And if this is linoleum in here, that would be consistent with an undampened, more reflective room in the kitchen. That is correct. And if this is carpet over here, that's a more dampened room. That is correct. Okay. And then those are the only two you're able to detect in this tape. To be completely sure, yes, sir. Okay. And that is all I have to, I have testified to. Okay. And so during how many times that was this whole tape is how long? It's five minutes and 44 seconds and some frames. Okay. And you identified how many seconds? There were two sequences right behind each other where you testified about dampened room, more reflective room, right? Yes. Okay. How long is that sequence? As I answered before, I think it's a four to six second span. Okay. So four to six seconds out of this five minute and 45 second tape, you have found something consistent with a person moving from a dampened to an undampened room. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And if I'm following you correctly, back to a dampened room. Well, I'm not interested in you following correctly. I'm interested in me following you correctly. Okay. So this four to six second period is dampened, undampened, dampened. It's slightly more dampened to be too very reflective to slightly dampened. Okay. Slightly dampened to very reflective to what is the next one from slightly dampened to very reflective to dampened to slightly dampened back to slightly dampened. Yes. Okay. And that's in a four to six second time frame. Yes. That time frame right there that you're speaking of. And as to the rest of the tape, you weren't able to draw any conclusions about dampened or reflective, slightly dampened. Not as conclusive as that. No. Okay. Well, you wouldn't be, those are the only ones you feel comfortable as a professional to testify about. Yes, that's correct. And anything else would not be in your opinion, reliable. That's correct. Okay. How should I say this? Could not detect. Well, those would not be my words. Tell me what your words would be that you're unable to draw a conclusion. Right. Okay. Unable to draw a conclusion as to rest of 911 call. Is that fair? That is fair. Okay. Now, do you have a copy of the transcript up there? No, I don't, but I have been given one. Well, you might have to bear with me because I ended up taking notes on two different ones. 
I just wanted to ask you about a couple of, of the sections that, now, did you have a copy of this that had the sections that Mr. Davis was going to point out to you? Repeat that one more time. Have you ever had a copy of yours, like a work copy that said, you know, from 1.25 to, we're going to talk about this section. If this is section one, section two, and section three, no. Okay, is that shown on this exhibit? Is this the exhibit? I'm looking for the barcode exhibit. All of the individual sections were drawn from a complete transcript. Okay, all right. Let's just talk about some of the sections that you and Mr. Davis talked about real quickly. Let's see if I've got them right. Okay, what I wrote down at 344.05. Now, that's my version. Let me see. I'm sure there's a more modern version. I see it. It's 345.19. That's the section that you testified about. That was the section that was barcoded. Okay. And this, is that the fourth section that was barcoded or the third? I couldn't tell you. Okay. Don't remember that? Well, I can't recall which one was barcoded. Did it begin with, quote, look for a rag, I believe? I think it began with, you don't know who did this? All right. And the section that you and Mr. Davis chose to put on the screen that y'all collaborated on was 352.13. It says, no, he ran out of the garage. They ran out of the garage. Well, I don't know that you're entirely correct and that you keep repeating that you and Mr. Davis, this was of my choosing of the parts that I felt comfortable with, not just Mr. Davis. Well, you didn't testify about ambiance on this one, did you? No, I did not. So you felt comfortable pointing out the section that says, quote, no, he ran out. They ran out of the garage. I was sleeping. You felt comfortable for you to point that out. Yes, I did. And what did that indicate? Something important to you, I take it? I felt it did. All right. Now, let's go on after that and go down to 401 point two eight. Okay. Okay. Now, you know, because you listen to this tape very carefully. Yes, I did. 401.28 is the, the police officer is there, correct? Yes, I do. Okay. But there's only one police officer there, right? I haven't testified to that. Can you tell us? I would not, I would not, that would be a conclusive statement on my part. Okay, but what she says there is, quote, y'all go look out in the garage. Y'all refers to more than one person, doesn't it? Yes, I would. Well, in normal discourse, I would agree with that. Where did you grow up, grow up Mr. Dickey? In Grand Prairie, Texas. Okay, so you're familiar with the term y'all. Yes, I am. And that's more than one, isn't it? I would say that. I don't know who she's referring to y'all as. It could be her husband and the policeman. It could be two policemen. It could be, I have no way of knowing. I have made no determination. So your idea is that what she's saying is y'all and telling her husband, who is attending to one of her dying children, y'all get up, Darren, y'all, you and the police officer, y'all get up and go out, go look in the garage for them. That's what you were thinking? 
No, I made no determination of that, period. So y'all might refer to one police officer. If you would like to say that, yes. So some people mess up in their syntax, don't they? In their English? I would agree with that. For instance, have you ever seen presidential candidates? They never say, quote, would you, that I appreciate your vote, do they? They always say, we appreciate the vote. I think I've heard it both ways, but they usually say, you know, quote, vote for us. I can't make a determination on what you're saying. Well, you've heard presidential candidates say that kind of thing, haven't you? Well, I've heard a lot of things said. I don't know that. Quote, we're so happy we won the presidency. Maybe referring to their family, I'm not sure. Well, how many presidents do we have? Well, we have one president and one vote, don't you? One vote per person who is voting, yes. Anyway, Darlie Routier says, y'all look out in the garage, look out in the garage. Does she not? Yes, that is what is spoken. And I guess you didn't feel comfortable suggesting that this phrase be put up on your screen? I did not feel that there was any inconsistency in it. Okay, let's talk about your... At this point, the court steps in and says, I think right now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, or gentlemen, we'll take a 10-minute break. Whereupon a short recess was taken. The court then says, all right, are both sides ready to bring the jury back? Mr. Greg Davis says, yes, sir, the state is ready. Mr. Mulder says the defense is ready. The jury comes back into the courtroom. And Mr. Mosty then uh, continues his cross-examination. All right, Mr. Dickey, I just have a couple more things I wanted to cover with you. Again, do you have this transcript up there in front of you? Yes. These seven excerpts are all those, the ones that you felt, how did you say that, that you felt comfortable with? Yes. All right. Now, your charge was to enhance this tape, to enhance it and make it the highest quality well, to interpret what was being said through whatever means, not necessarily just enhancing it because that wouldn't be my procedure. Okay, by interpreting it, you took that as your charge to decide what you thought might be important or not important? No, no, that's not part of your job? No, that would be, that would not be correct. Okay, so you aren't, when you enhance something or when you pick out these sections, you weren't worried about whether or not they were consistent with some side of the story or inconsistent or whether they were an inconsistency or consistency that wasn't part of your idea? No? Okay, let's, if what you're saying is my transcript was developed around one side of the story, that's completely incorrect. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the excerpts from your transcript, one through seven. These excerpts that you put on this screen. Yes, sir. And I pointed out that one minute ago were you, where you did not include part the part about, quote, y'all go search the kitchen. Is that part of your interpretation to determine whether to include that, y'all? No, that didn't even enter my mind. I thought you, a minute ago, told me that you didn't think it was inconsistent. I didn't think there was any inconsistency in the sentence itself. Okay, 
well were you looking when you were choosing these seven sections? Were you looking for inconsistencies? Yes, at certain times I was. Okay, so you were doing a little bit more than just listening to the words and bringing us the words. You were doing some interpretation as well, weren't you? I pointed out several sections that I thought would be important. Pointed it out to Mr. Davis? Yes, I did. Okay, let's go to section, what I call section six, bottom of page nine. It starts with, quote, you need to let the officer in the front door. The knife was laying over there and I already picked it up. Okay, it's all right. It's okay. God, I bet we could have gotten prints maybe. Correct? Yes. And that's one of these sections that you and Mr. Davis chose. That was something that I thought was important. Okay. And did you suggest to Mr. Davis it was important? I pointed it out. Okay. Now, you don't know who she's talking to there, do you? Quote, the knife was lying over there and I already picked it up. I wouldn't make a determination on that. Okay. By this time, the arresting officer is there, isn't he? Yes, the officers are there. And the very first time the knife ever comes up, going back in the transcript, is when the 911 operator says, quote, don't touch anything. Isn't that right? I wouldn't. You don't remember that? Well, let me just look at it. Why don't you look at it? You see, I think that the actual first time the knife is mentioned was a sequence of events in which she describes to the operator something about a knife was he threw the knife down. Okay, what did the operator say back? She? She said don't touch anything, didn't she? No, I think this is at 2 minutes and 14 seconds and 23 frames. The operator responds, okay, stay on the phone with me. Okay, she just explained to the operator, some man came in and stabbed my babies, stabbed me. I woke up, I was fighting. He ran out through the garage and threw the knife down. Okay, look at 408, 405.03, pick up there. That's my phrase, quote, y'all look out in the garage. Yes. And CO1, quote, there's a knife, don't touch anything. And the response, quote, I already touched it and picked it up. Yes, I see that. So the first time anybody talks about touching a knife is when the CO, the communications officer says, don't touch anything. Could you repeat that? First time there is any reference about touching evidence, and I'm not talking about the description of somebody being stabbed, about touching the knife is when communication officer says, quote, don't touch anything, there's a knife, don't touch anything. Okay, the female caller answers, quote, I already touched it and I picked it up. Isn't that right? Looking through the transcript of what I have interpreted, yes. If you're speaking specifically of touching the knife, yes. Okay, that's what I'm speaking of. Okay, and then when you go to section six that we're just starting to talk about, 501.15, yes, sir. The 911 operator says, you need to let the police officers in the door. The female caller, quote, the knife was lying over there and I already picked it up, unquote. She could have been talking to the police officer there, couldn't she? Yes, she could have. Matter of fact, that's what it sounds like on the tape, doesn't it? As I recall, she could have been speaking to somebody in the room. Okay, 
I couldn't make a determination of who was in the room that she was speaking to. Okay, now then, let's go to frame seven. And there's these statements in there about female caller. Quote, there's nothing touched, there's nothing touched in that phrase. Now, the police officer had already told her that a good bit earlier, hadn't he? They didn't touch anything? I think the police officer told her that, quote, nothing was gone, nothing's gone. I don't think he said nothing is touched. Does that make any difference? I mean, that's the same phraseology, isn't it? Quote, nothing's gone, nothing's touched, they didn't take anything? No, I wouldn't agree with that. You don't agree that those are the same things. Nothing is gone would, my interpretation would be maybe, quote, nothing was stolen, nothing was taken from the house, valuable. You don't think you would walk in your house and say, there's nothing touched? That's not the same thing as saying nothing is taken, they didn't touch a thing? I think the police officer's words were, nothing is gone, Mrs. Routier. But in any event, the first reference to touching the knife, quote, don't touch the knife, comes from the communications officer, doesn't it? That I can detect on the tape. And the first reference to, quote, nothing stolen, unquote, comes from the police officer. Or, quote, nothing is gone, unquote, or whatever it was he said. That also came from the police officer, didn't it? Yes, I would agree with that. Okay as the transcript is written, if I understand your, how much did all of this stuff cost? Is that, do I have to answer an exact figure? Well, I mean, because I haven't finished billing. Okay, you're still, you're not home yet, huh? No? Okay, well, give me what you know then. How much are you charging for your testimony here today? I'm not being paid for my testimony today. I'm being paid for the work previous. Okay, well, what was that? How much did all that cost? It will run about 10,000 with all of the prep, with the laser discs, with everything else. Okay, now, and you said that the only thing you were given was, I think it's maybe 18-A or did, that's right. You started with the big tape. Yes, I did, right? That's called a dictaphone tape. Yes, I did. And that was the only thing you were given. Yes, it is. How did you identify the voices? Just, I did not identify the voices as particular people. I, I identified them as male or female, very generic terms. Well, how did you identify the difference between a male caller and a police officer? Yes, they are. How did you know which one was which? There is one that is texture in voice. Okay, so there's a thing called thermal imaging in which you compare the voice prints. Okay, and so you did that on Officer Waddell to determine which one was him and which one was Darren Routier? Yes, and you got a voice sample from Waddell. No, I did not. Did you get a voice sample from Darren Routier? No, I did not. At this point, Mr. Richard Mosty says, I'll pass the witness. The court then says, anything else, Mr. Davis? And Mr. Greg Davis stands up and says, yes, sir, and begins his redirect examination of Mr. Dickey. Mr. Dickey, I just have a couple of questions for you. If we could, let's go to that part of the tape where the female caller is saying, quote, who is breathing? 
And then, quote, are they still laying there? Do you recall that portion of the tape? Yes, I do. And as I recall, you testified, those are made in the slightly dampened room, correct? Yes. And then by the time the female caller is saying, quote, oh my God, what do we do? Oh my God. That she has now moved into a very reflective room. Is that right? That is true. Now, looking at the floor plan that Mr. Mosty was showing you, let me just ask you, sir, if that would be consistent with the female caller being initially in the family room when she was making the statement, quote, who is breathing? Are they still laying there? And then moving deep into the kitchen when she is saying, quote, oh my God, what do we do? Oh my God. Would that be consistent with what you heard on that tape? Yes, it would be. Let me ask you too. During that portion of the tape where we have the female caller going into that reflective room and saying, quote, oh my God, what do we do? Oh my God, oh my God. While she's in this very reflective portion of the house, sir, do you hear any sound on that tape that you would interpret to be running water? No, it would have been listed. There was, I detected no sound like that. Okay, so if you had detected that, the sound of running water, would you have placed that on the transcript that the jurors have? Yes, I would. And it's not on there, is it? No, it's not. Because you didn't hear it. No, I did not. Okay, and Mr. Dickey, again, the laser disc that is now in evidence, just so we're clear, if you can access the seven portions of testimony that Mr. Mosty was referring to, correct? Yes, you can. But if you choose to access the entire video transcript starting from zero, zero, all the way down through the end of the transcript there at five minutes, 44 seconds, 0.28, you can access that and you can see that in its entirety, can't you? Yes, in two forms, one with transcript and one completely without. All right, so there's actually two choices. If you just want to hear the sound all the way through, you can do that, right? That's correct. If you want to view the video transcripts we've used, you can do that. That is correct. If you want to view just one of these seven individual clips, you can do that also, right? That is correct. Let me ask you, in our dealings throughout this case, have I ever suggested to you in any way what ought to be on your final transcript there? No, you have not. I'll pass the witness. At this point, um, it is the recross by Mr. Richard Mosty, who is the, of course, a defense attorney for... Darley Routier. Mr. Dickey, just to follow up real quickly, if I understand every sound that you heard, you identified every sound that was audible to me is on the transcript. Okay. Now, and that included, did it not, a barking dog? Yes. That dog was upstairs. Or could you tell? I could not tell where the dog was in proximity to the phone. But you heard the dog. Yes, there was a sound of a barking dog. Okay, 
Mr. Dickey, tell me, what was on television that night while this was playing? I could not tell you what was programmed that night. Well, how come you couldn't hear the TV? Why aren't you able to tell me what the program was, what was being said on the TV that was on? It obviously wasn't in close enough proximity to the telephone. So you heard the dog, but did not hear the TV. Am I right? That's right. Okay. What is my next exhibit number? Uh, Mr. Mulder then says uh, 17. Mr. Mosty says, Your Honor, we would offer defendants 17. Mr. Davis then pipes up and says, We will object to it as being hearsay. The court says, of course, sustained. Sorry, shouldn't add my opinion in there. By Mr. Richard Mosty, he then goes on to question, um, does Exhibit 17 fairly depict what you have testified to as I have written it down as you have said it? Could you be a little more specific? Well, I mean, I wrote these down, didn't I, as your words and as you testified. Maybe not incomplete, but I don't understand why there is a particular phrase as, quote, Darley, y'all look out. How about Darley said, quote, y'all look out in the garage. How about female caller? Okay, FC said, quote, y'all look out in the garage. What I've written up here fairly describes what you've testified to here today, isn't it? Parts of what I have testified to, true, right, but everything that is up there is a fair depiction of something you testified to. True. I'll offer 17 again. We will re-urge our objection as still hearsay. And the court then says, same ruling, let's move on. Any other questions? At this point, Mr. John Hagler, uh, part of the defense team, says, Your Honor, it's simply a summary of his prior testimony. It's not hearsay. It's offered under oath in court. That's fair. Mr. Greg Davis then says, well, let me just ask, if all of these exhibits, it's my understanding that these exhibits, whatever exhibits are contained here on this pad, that they're being offered, that they were offered for demonstrative purposes only. Is that my understanding? Mr. Mulder then says, well, judge, they're like anything else. They came in and they were in for all purposes. There is no restriction on them. The court then says, well, yours came in because there was no objection made. An objection was made to this. It is in the nature of notes and Mrs. Halsey is the official note taker. Mr. Mosty then says, but that wasn't the objection, your honor. The court says, well, I still... It's hearsay. If the court has made an error, you can appeal that with the Court of Appeals later on. That's my ruling. That's what it's going to be. So let's get ahead with the next question or get the witness off the stand. Mr. Mosty then says, pass the witness. Mr. Davis says, no further questions. And the court then says, you may step down. Thank you for coming. I'm sure this witness will be going back to Dallas. And the answer was, yes, sir. Mr. Mosty then says, Your Honor, I think there's something that we're required by law to take up outside the presence of the jury right now. The court says, well, can I see both sides? Whereupon a short discussion was held off the record at the side of the bench and outside of the hearing of the jury, after which time the proceedings were resumed on the record as follows. 
The court then says, well, let's step outside the courtroom, please, ladies and gentlemen, just go back to the jury room. Whereupon the jury was excused from the courtroom and the proceedings were held in the presence of the defendant with her attorney, but outside the presence of the jury as follows. The court then says, let the record reflect that these proceedings are being held outside the presence of the jury and all parties of trial are present. Mr. Mosty. Mr. Mosty then says, yes, your honor. The defendant objects to the comment that the court just made about that we may take it up on appeal or whatever. The word appeal is the operative word here, that if we have an objection, we can take it up on appeal, suggests that the defendant would be convicted and is a comment by the court and we'd move for a mistrial. The court then says, motion for mistrial denied. Bring the jury back in, please. Thank you. Whereupon the jury was returned to the courtroom and the proceedings were resumed on the record in open court in the presence and hearing of the defendant. And that is the end of Barry Dickey's testimony. The trial actually resumes the following day with Dr. Alejandro Santos, who is the surgeon that operated on Darley's wounds on the morning of June 6th. So at this point, I will end this here uh, for this particular episode of the the trial. Um, I just have to say, it's really frustrating reading through all of this, as I'm sure you felt the same way hearing this, uh, regardless of which side you sit on. It just seems like the defense, no matter what they do, they just can't get a break. I mean, every single time that the prosecution says, hey, we object, the court's like sustained, or if the defense objects to something, it is denied. It is, um, it seems a little one-sided here. I'm kind of curious. I may actually go back and find out how many times this occurred during this trial. Not that it would matter, but you know, satisfy my own curiosity. Nonetheless, I would be very appreciative if you have any comments on this or any other um, parts of the trial readings that have occurred. It's very interesting and any like or comment or subscription uh subscribe to via youtube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast would be incredibly appreciated so anyway with that said i know i'm kind of droning on here with that said i'm going to end this and we will talk really really soon and like i said the next trial will actually happen the following day, not for me personally, but within the trial portion of it. And the first to testify on that day will be Dr. Alejandro Santos, who operated on Darley's wounds the morning of June 6th. After he testifies, there's an interesting little side portion within the trial about a gag order discussion. And then we get to Dr. Patrick Dillon, who tended to Damon upon his arrival at the hospital. And then Jody Fitz, F-I-T-T-S, a registered nurse on duty the morning of June the 6th. So until then, thank you all for listening. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We will talk soon. <laughs>